Well, it's good to see you all here this morning. My name is Tom. If I haven't met you, we're on our last message of a two-month series through this short story of Ruth. And now, if you've just come in today, you, you, you may actually, I'm going to do my best to bring you along, but you, you may actually want to go back and listen to some of our previous messages, which are posted online. But today, we're finishing this series, and we're talking about follow-through. Now, in my vast knowledge of sports, laughter, (laughs) in my vast knowledge of sports, I I know that follow-through is vital to accuracy, to power, to even even to success. Follow-through is that practice of not, you know, pulling up before the end. You know, making sure that you're fluid in your, in your motion. You're not sort of giving up before you've really seen the action through. It's about continually, intentionally, kind of going past the point where contact has been made or the thing has been done, follow through, follow through. You know, I mean, in golf, also expertise of mine. In golf, I know it's a science, right? There's like, there's like courses you can take on the science of follow through. Because without good follow-through, you don't got good golf, right? Can I get an amen from Dave Handy? Yes. And, and then the same is with baseball. I know a little bit more about baseball than golf. Same through with baseball. Even in skeet shooting, you've got to have good follow-through, right? You've got to follow that skeet through the air. And even when you pull the trigger, you've got to keep moving as you blast that clay pigeon out of the sky. And then do I even have to add bowling? You've got to have good follow-through in bowling. You've got to actually do that little dance at the end when you hit the strike. You know, the, the special little Fred Flintstone uh, kip style dance, uh, whatever, whatever you need to do. Because it's your follow through that predicts your accuracy, predicts your power, predicts your success. Always follow through. Now, most of my experience growing up with follow through had to do with training horses. And in, in, in training anything, horses, dogs, kids, you've got to be consistent, right? You've got to have good follow through. Uh, for me personally, though, follow-through usually meant getting up off the ground, wiping the blood off my nose, and getting back on that <clears throat> horse. I wasn't very good at that, to be really honest. I mean, I was really great at falling off. I was great at getting back on. I just wasn't that great at training horses. You have to talk to someone else about that. But follow-through is vital. It's vital in sports. It's vital in training. It's also vital in our, in our lives, right? It's vital in our work lives that when we have been given a task by a, a workmate or, or a partner or, or someone who's uh, you know, paying your bills, um, that you follow through with what you said. It's important in a relationship with maybe one of your, one of your kids, that if you said you're going to be there, you said you're going to do that thing, that you say it with me. Follow through, right? It's important in, in, in uh, you know, the integrity we have in business. If we said we're going to be there on time, we're going to provide this product, we're going to do this thing, that we actually follow through. It's vital in things that we've wanted to see change in our own lives. Maybe, maybe we're now into what we are, mid-March, and that exercise plan that you had great hopes for in January. Guess what, folks? You've got to follow through, right? It, it takes follow through. Maybe it's uh, spiritual practices that you want to incorporate to change some kind of habit in your life. You want to incorporate more prayer or maybe a daily Bible reading, some, some practice in your life. Well, it actually takes follow-through. Well, in this short story of Ruth, we discover a woman and a man with great follow-through. But more than that, more than the faithfulness of Ruth, more than the generosity of Boaz, we actually witness God's even greater follow-through for them and ultimately for us. 
I'm going to front load our message today with my main point. It's the title. God's got great follow through. We say that together. God's got great follow through that no matter how difficult things can be in our lives, maybe our family life, maybe maybe a health situation, no matter how dark things can become or even debilitating or hard, that God is faithful and God always follows through. Now, I have loved this series in Ruth. I don't know if you picked that up, if you've heard, I have loved digging into Ruth. And I know that some of you have as well because you've come and you've told me that you've been excited about what you've learned. I've been inspired. I've been challenged all the way through. And I, I do hope that's been, been true. But as we finish today, I'm really excited because I believe that the, the finish of this story is really, it really has a message for each and every one of us. I think this message today is for anyone who has felt like Naomi in this story, has felt abandoned by God, has wondered where he is. I think this message is for anyone who feels that their circumstances in life, they're stuck at home with kids, they're in a dead-end job, they're experiencing a health crisis, or they're just they're so busy all the time that their circumstances in life are actually preventing them from from being an effective witness to Jesus or maybe preventing them from from really, really serving God the way that you want to or maybe just keeping them from living the whole life that they have longed, that you have longed to live. I think this message is for any of our youth who have wondered, like, I know my parents have said it and I've heard pastors say it, and you know, but does God really have a plan for my life or is that just kind of nice things that older people say to you? I think this message is for anyone who has gotten lost in the dark and wonders if they can ever find their way out of Gant. Anyone who's been struggling, anyone who's been hurting in any way. I think this message is also for anyone who's been frustrated by the slowness of change in their own lives. Like they've wanted to see a habit shift or they want to see a, you've wanted to see an attitude change. And you've, you've prayed about it, and you've, you've done some things related to that, and you've, you've read books, and you've got counseling, and you've done whatever, but the change you've wanted to see is slow in coming. And you feel some frustration about that. I think this message for anyone who has felt like giving up on a, on a wayward kid. You look at kids, and you think, man, I raised them in a certain way. I raised them to follow certain values. I raised them to follow Jesus. I raised them to be certain people. But the choices they're making in life, I mean... Do I just give them up now? Maybe giving up even on a difficult marriage. Or just a cranky neighbor. Fine. I know I'm supposed to reach out and love my neighbor, but I'm not going to anymore. I think also this message is for anyone who, to be honest with you, is just living a faithful, but let's be honest, boring life. You know, faithfulness and boring can go together, right? <laughs> Being faithful to serve and to love the people in your lives, the people around you in unnoticed ways. That's why I subtitled this whole series, How God Uses the Unnoticed to Do the Unimaginable, because I think often living a normal, faithful life is pretty unnoticeable. It happens behind the scenes. It, you, you're, you're loving someone, you're, you're, you're reaching out, you're sacrificing in ways that nobody else can see, and it can seem boring sometimes. Maybe even just getting up in the morning and serving that child that's in your life or children in your life or the neighbor that no one else sees. Long and short, I think this is a message for for normal Christians, for for anyone 
who's been trying to even figure out what it means to be in relationship with God through Christ. Maybe you've been exploring things here at Erickson Covenant. More than anything else today, I want this message to sink down. I want you to leave today with this message echoing in your mind that God's got great follow-through. So let's dive into the final chapter of Ruth, Ruth chapter 4. Printed it on an insert in your bulletin. I had to shrink the font, I admit, to make it fit on that little sheet. But it's there for you. You can read along if you have a Bible or on your phones. Today we come to the epic climax with a beautiful follow-through in the story. A story that began with three devastating losses now finishes with one dramatic redemption. I'm going to read through the entire story, uh, entire Ruth chapter 4. I'm going to try to minimize my comments, but you know how that goes. I will say that we're jumping right in the middle, right? So last week, if you missed it, we went into lots of detail. But Ruth has made this extremely odd proposal to Boaz in the middle of the night. Not just that he marry her, but that they together rescue the whole family of Naomi and Elimelech. And, and I, I got into a lot of that there. So what we have here at the start of chapter 4 is what, what's happened just following that, where Boaz has said yes to what Ruth has proposed, and now he is initiating action. Here we are, Ruth chapter 4. Meanwhile, Boaz went up to the town gate and sat down there just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned. So this is the closer relative than he is, the one who um, legally was responsible to step in and help a family if they were facing ruin. And the, 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 the purpose of the guardian redeemer was really to protect family assets. And, and when, 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 when Ruth proposes that Boaz do this for them, he says, well, I'd love to, but there's someone else closer than I am. That's this guy. So just as the guardian redeemer he had mentioned came along, Boaz said, come over here, my friend, and sit down. So he went over and sat down. Boaz took 10 of the elders of the town and said, sit here. And they did so. Then he said to the guardian redeemer, Naomi, who's come back from Moab, is selling a piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. Sorry, I thought that was stuffed. A little mess there on my part. Dana and Delaney are handing out Ruth 4. Naomi, who has come back from Moab, is selling the piece of land that belonged to our relative Elimelech. I thought I should bring the matter to your attention and suggest that you buy it. In the presence of these seated here and in the presence of the elders of my people. If you, if you will redeem it, do so. But if you will not, tell me so I will know, for no one has the right to do it except you and I am next in line. I will redeem it, he said. Then Boaz said, Watch how, watch how crafty he is. On the day you buy the land from Naomi, you also acquire Ruth, the Moabite, the dead man's widow, in order to maintain the name of the dead with his property. At this, the guardian redeemer said, Then I cannot redeem it, because I might endanger my own estate. You redeem it yourself. I cannot do it. Now, in earlier times in Israel, for the redemption and transfer of property to become final, one party took off his sandal and gave it to the other. This was the method of legalizing transactions in Israel. Try that next time at the bank. See what they say. Okay. So the guardian redeemer said to Boaz, buy it yourself. And he removed his sandal. Then Boaz announced to the elders and all the people, today you are witnesses that I have bought from Naomi all the property of Elimelech, Kilian, and Malin. Malin, that's his two sons. I have also acquired Ruth the Moabite, Malon's widow, as my wife, in order to maintain the name of the dead 
with his property so that his name will not disappear from among his family or from his hometown. Today you are witnesses. Then the elders and all the people at the gate said, We are witnesses. May the Lord make the woman who is coming to your home like Rachel and Leah, who together built up the family of Israel. May you have standing in Ephrathah and be famous in Bethlehem. Through the offspring the Lord gives you by this young woman, may your family be like that of Perez, whom Tamar bore to Judah. So Boaz took Ruth and she became his wife. When he made love to her, the Lord enabled her to conceive. And she gave birth to a son. The women said to Naomi, Praise be to the Lord who this day has not left you without a guardian redeemer. May he become famous throughout Israel. He will renew your life and sustain you in your old age. For your daughter-in-law, who loves you and who's better to you than seven sons, has given him birth. Then Naomi took the child in her arms and cared for him. The women living there said, Naomi has a son. And they named him Obed. He was the father of Jesse, the father of David. This then is the family line of Perez. Perez was the father of Hezron, Hezron the father of Ram, Ram the father of Aminadab, Aminadab the father of Nashon, Nashon the father of Salmon, Salmon the father of Boaz, Boaz the father of Obed, Obed the father of Jesse, and Jesse the father of David. David. There's some baby names for you, if you'd like. Well, let's look at all the follow-through we see in this story. So a little recap from last week. Ruth has followed through on Naomi's plan for marriage. Naomi concocts this plan to send Ruth down to propose marriage to Boaz, and Naomi says, I will do whatever you say. But then she goes down to the threshing floor, and she follows through on Naomi's plan, yes, but she adds this risky twist of her own, which we explored at length last week, where she doesn't just propose marriage, she says, let's save the family together. Which is Naomi's, or Ruth's way of following through on her larger commitment to her mother-in-law, Naomi. And she's, she's not given up yet on the family. And so Ruth follows through on Naomi's plan with this twist. And then second, oh, starting with last week but flowing into this week, Boaz follows through on Ruth's family rescue plan. This is Ruth's plan. She proposes it to Boaz, and Boaz takes it as his own. In response to her risky proposal, Boaz responds by saying, I will do for you all you ask. And then we see him go about doing that in the passage that we read today, or pulling together the elders, calling over this closer relative, making all the negotiations legally binding. Boaz himself has got great follow-through. And we're not going to explore all the cultural pieces in there. You can see as you read it, whether you're familiar with the story of Ruth or whether you are just experiencing it for the first time, that there's a few um, cultural things going on in this passage that we don't necessarily practice today. But I want to point out a few things that underscore Boaz's follow-through. First of all, I love how proactive Boaz is. Man, he is just waiting from that moment on, I don't know how much he slept that night, to get at the business of the day, he gets there early to the city gate, waits, sees the guy coming, grabs him, grabs the others. He is moving on this. He is doing exactly what Ruth has called him to do. He is responding and he's proactive in doing so. I love that. Second of all, Boaz is very wise. There's some crafty negotiations going on here. I love how he front loads the big benefit for the closer redeemer. All this land there for the taking. Brother, why don't you go for it? 
And, and so the, the, the closer guardian redeemer, who's never given a name, in fact, in the Hebrew, his name is kind of called Mr. So-and-so. He's like the nobody, intentionally highlighting how he uh, didn't become part of God's plan. And, and, and so he, he goes, oh, land, free for the taking. I'll, I'll do it. Sure. What's the, no problem. All he's doing is adding to his holding. Yes, he's going to have to invest some money into getting that land back into production. But hey, this is a no-brainer. <laughs> and then Boaz adds the zinger. Oh, by the way, there's a foreign widow that comes with it. And, and any kids you have with her, uh, we've kind of made this agreement that they'll, they'll be actually the ones that inherit this. <laughs> Suddenly, what looked like a sweet deal was not. And actually, Boaz not only is wise there, but it highlights for us something we saw last week, that this really was a risky proposal that Ruth was, was doing, that, that there actually was a sacrifice that Boaz was going to be making here. This wasn't all win-win for Boaz. He was, he was actually giving of himself for the sake of the family. He was wise, and he also is, 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 is taking to himself the risk. And third, we also see how influential Boaz was. The reality is, um, we talked last week, and we see it again this week, the things that are happening here with some obscure laws are nothing like are seen anywhere else in Scripture. And it leads scholars, and I certainly think so, that, that Boaz himself, by taking Ruth's plan, is stretching the law to its absolute limit. It's like, it's like reinterpreting it, and everyone in the community goes along with what he's saying. Why? Because he's got standing. He's got influence. He's got power in that sense. They're going to go along with it because he's actually trying to pursue the spirit of the law, which says we do whatever we can to save a family. So he goes along. He takes Ruth's plan. He makes it his own. And the people around him go along with this man who's using his power and his position and his privilege to partner and to sacrifice for the sake of another. This is true godly influence. And I love the way Boaz uh, lives that out here. So Ruth follows through, Boaz follows through. But everything still at this point depends on one very tricky reality. Anyone identify what it is? She's got to have a kid. Yeah, right. She's got to have a baby. Like this, the whole plan falters. The whole rescue plan, all this risk, all, the, all that they've been doing, it all hangs on the fact that she will have a son who will then take her dead husband Malin's name and inherit all their assets. But what's the catch? Ruth was married for a decade and never had kids. Now, we know differently now, but in that day, certainly, blame for infertility was always placed firmly on the woman. It was never the guy. It was the woman's fault. She was the one infertile. Seed would get planted, but there would be no growth. It's her problem. And so in the culture of that day, this meant one thing. Even as she was risking, even as, even as they were making this plan, even as they're moving this thing forward, unless God did something, this whole family rescue plan was doomed to failure. She'd be married, her needs would be taken care of, Nami would be taken care of, but in terms of family rescue, gone. And it's exactly at this point that we see God follow through for, you, for Ruth, for Boaz, for Naomi in this family rescue plan. He does this in two ways. First, God follows through in the short term by giving them Obed. In Ruth 4.13, we read, So Boaz took Ruth, she became his wife, he made love to her, and the Lord enabled her to conceive. She gave birth to a son. 
You want something interesting? In the whole story of Ruth, you may not have picked this up. In the whole story of Ruth, this is the only instance in the whole story where the storyteller of Ruth explicitly says that God did something. It's the only place. Isn't that interesting? It's the only place. Now, we've seen God at work setting things up. And we've seen, I think, even the narrator kind of wink, like Ruth happened into a field with Boaz. You know, we, we see those kinds of things happening in the story where God is obviously in the story and people are naming him in the story and are praying to him and talking about him. All that's going on. But here, when the baby was needed to complete the family rescue plan, the storyteller of Ruth wants us to see something critical, that God followed through, that he created the miracle of birth, that he enabled Ruth to conceive, that the risk-taking faithfulness of Ruth and the valiant generosity of Boaz, it can only take the whole plan so far, right up to the point where God himself had to do the rest. And God did. A son was born. Uh, called Obed, which I love it. It means one who serves. And Obed will serve this family. He will save this family. He's the one in whom the hope of the family and the generations to come rest. God's short-term follow-through also redeems the tragic story of Naomi, because in many ways the story of Ruth is the larger story, is the story of Naomi. Remember the whole tale, this whole book, began with Naomi's devastating loss. Lost her husband. Lost both of her sons. All the men in her family had died, and she came home empty, believing that Yahweh, her God, had turned against her. But we saw her realize that God had never stopped loving her. She realized that as she began to see God at work. But now, Naomi holds in her arms the concrete fact that God is faithful, that God always follows through. Naomi takes the child in her arms and cared for him. The, the women living there said, Naomi has a son. There's a beautiful completion here where, where Naomi's story is, it, it doesn't necessarily mean she doesn't feel the loss still of her husband and sons. That is true. But in some ways, the story is resolved where she went from empty to full, when she went from, from ruined to now rescued. I want to ask a practical question right here at this point. For you, where you are in life, where do you need God to follow through? Where is it in your life where God needs to follow through? Maybe you've taken risks for others. Like you put yourself out there to the point where, like Ruth and Boaz, you're saying, God, (laughs) God, I've risked here. I've given, I've made, I've made inroads, I've, 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 I've quit my job. I've done it, and now you've got to come through. I've done what I believe you've called me to do, and you've got to come through. You've got to follow through. Maybe there, there are, there's something you've been praying for, something that needs to shift in your own heart, something that needs to change in a situation. And you're at a place where you're saying, God, I don't know what else to do. You need to follow through. Perhaps you are being faithful with where you are at, but you still feel stuck. And you're saying, God, I need you to follow through. I think that sometimes as a church, we can feel like that. I know I can feel like that. I can say, God, we are we're being faithful. We're we're. we're, we're, we're gathering for worship. We're, we're letting God's word sink into our hearts. We're, we're taking those 
those, those risks, both as a whole community, as a whole church, but individually to, to go out into our workplaces and into our, into our streets and fields and relationships to, to love the people you've given to us. We're, we're, we're taking these risks that you've called us to take. We're being the witnesses you've called us to be. God, you've got to follow through. You've got to follow through. You know, many people who have found themselves waiting, wondering, hoping, trusting, maybe a bit afraid, maybe feeling like I have really put myself out there and now I don't know what's going to happen if God doesn't follow through. Many people who have found themselves in those kind of places have taken great comfort from that quite well-known little passage in the letter that Paul wrote to Christians in Philippi. In, in, in Philippians chapter 1, verse 3 to 6, Paul, thinking about these Christians, says, I thank my God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you, I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Let's break that down for a moment. First, he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion. What's that all about? God's got great follow-through, right? This is all that Paul, and Paul is saying, I'm confident in God's great follow-through, that you are his, he says. That you are his. That we are his. And that the work he's doing in us, that work of expanding our hearts for others, that, that work of, of helping us overcome some debilitating habit in our lives, that, that work that God is where he's opening up our minds to his truth and his truth is actually beginning to push out the lies that have defined us for so long. That work. The work of creating in us new patterns and new habits and new attitudes toward other people that we had always looked down on. Or maybe the work he's begun in us to begin to deal with some of those old wounds in our lives. Hurts from fathers and mothers. Hurts from uncles and aunts. Hurts from people in our lives that we trusted and did things to us they never should have done. Though that work where God is inviting us to, to open ourselves up to him and let his healing work into our lives. That work. The work that God is doing in our lives to, to give us courage where we've felt afraid. To give us compassion where we've felt disdain. That work. The work of God's Holy Spirit in making us new creations. That God does that work and he doesn't pull up. He doesn't stop short. He doesn't give up before the job is done. He's going to follow through on what he started in our lives. Now, we all know this. It might be slower than we hoped it would be. It might not always look like we had thought it should look. We know that's true. It may take us a while to understand what's going on. And if we are really honest, there's going to be things that we never will understand on this side of resurrection. Because God is doing something in us and through us that's beyond our vision. Sometimes, like in this story, even beyond our own lifespan. And we may never know what God is up to. But we can know this because of who God is. His good work in us will never be thwarted. It will never be derailed. He's got you. Think of your name on God's whiteboard. And right beside Deborah Jimby, right beside Dave Handy, right beside Bill Mackey, there's a square and it says, marked for completion. Check. 
God is going to follow through on what he started in us. I want you to look again, though, at that last phrase in the promise. Because it says, he who began a good work and you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Friends, that's really long term. (laughs) That's longer term than most of my prayers. I don't know about you. That's longer term than most of my plans. That's longer term than the things I wake up thinking about, dreaming about, worrying about, struggling about, mad about. This is long-term business that God is up to. It's bigger than us. It includes us, but it's bigger than us, bigger than our timelines, bigger than our dreams, that God has this amazing long-term vision for the world that includes us, but it includes everything else. You know, what we discover in this story of Ruth, of course, is that God's follow-through extends way beyond the personal lives and concerns of Boaz, Ruth, and ultimately even us. It extends to this day of Christ Jesus when God renews all of creation. When he destroys evil and suffering forever. It draws us to see that this thing that God is committed to working out is this big vision that he's doing right here in the church. But as we read all over the place in the New Testament, through his church, working out in history, working out in relationships, working out in nations, working out in families, doing that right here in this valley and around the world for his glory. At the very end of Ruth, we come to the boring family tree, right? The part of the Bible that we usually skip over because, let's be honest, we can't pronounce any of the names, and it's kind of dry. Okay, I know some of you nerds don't, but most of us skip over this part. Maybe not a little short one like this, but some of the longer ones we come to in some of the books of the Bible. But if we'll take just a moment to ask, like, what's this little begetting business all about? What we discover is mind-blowing, that God's great follow-through isn't just a short-term project. He's in it for the long game. Yes, God beautifully follows through for Ruth, for Boaz, for Naomi. But he's also working out a scheme for salvation that's bigger than anyone could know, that God was sending a son who would rescue the whole human family. First, in kind of like a foretaste, the grandson of Obed is actually the most famous king of all, King David himself. There's lots of stories about him in the Old Testament. He wrote a lot of the Psalms. A lot of the prophecies even revolve around him as a character. But of course, that's not even the greatest part of it. Not even, not even close. I love this. Even the storyteller of Ruth did not fully grasp, didn't grasp at all what God was really up to. That God, who had committed himself to rescuing his world from sin and from death, from all devastation, from all emptiness, that God, right at that moment, was following through on his plan to bring about his own Obed, his servant son who would seek and save, who would come to serve and not be served, the whole human family, a son who would also be born in Bethlehem. Isn't that cool? No, I thought that was cool. Also born in Bethlehem. But now the son was coming to bring about the most creative rescue of the most cosmic scope ever, King Jesus himself. You know, right in the very first um, words of the New Testament, which is, a genealogy, we see the line traced from beginning to end. 
includes the names here in this book. It includes Perez and Tamar and Judah, a great but somewhat sordid story back in Genesis. It includes Ruth and Boaz and Obed and, of course, David. But the line continues in Matthew, down, down, down the line till you come to, oh, a Mary, a Joseph, and a Jesus. A family rescue plan? I mean, yeah, you better believe it but bigger than anyone could have imagined. And this family rescue plan is, of course, still in full swing. What God did in Jesus, he has promised to complete by his Holy Spirit. He is working this out in us as followers of Jesus right now. God is working out his plan. He is following through on what he desires to see in us, but also to do through us and doing it in the everyday ways that we love our neighbor and love our God. As we reach out to people who need to experience his love, as we serve others in the name of Jesus, as we just live faithfully in the relationships that God has given us to friends, in marriage, to the kids in our lives, to the, to the, to the partners we've made in, in ministry, as we just live faithfully, as we steward what God has given us, our time, our talents, our treasures, as we steward that in the name of Jesus, saying, Lord Jesus, you've called us into this work that you're doing. You're doing this work in me, but through me, and I want to steward what you've given for you and for this mission. Really, as we choose to live lives, often boring lives, but lives filled with the kind of risk that Ruth took, the kind of faithfulness that we see in Boaz, where we live our lives worthy of the call that God has placed upon us. One of my great mentors in life is a man named James Houston, who's in his 90s. He founded Regent College, and that's where I attended. And uh, he said, and I, I even call, uh, messaged some old friends uh, from Regent and said, let me get this quote right. Anyway, this is my best rendition of a quote from him. James won't have a problem with it. He say sometimes that sometimes the most radical thing you can do in life is to just live a normal Christian life. Sometimes the most radical thing you do is get up in the morning, thank God for the day, love the people you're with, serving in the name of Jesus, not with fanfare, but with faithfulness. Sometimes the most radical thing you can do is live a normal Christian life. And sometimes it's obvious how God is at work, and at times it's hidden. We have to trust that he is going to complete his work in us because God's got great follow-through. Now, I, I didn't fully plan on this, but I warned Olin I might do it. You know, when I was finishing this, I thought of a song that, uh, am I on? I thought of a song that uh, I think just really captures what, uh, what we're saying here. And I think uh, some of you will know it. And if you don't, we'll sing it through a couple times and you can join in. It's from that Philippians passage. It goes like this. He who began a good work in you. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He'll be faithful to complete it. He who started this work will be faithful to complete it in you. Can we try that again? He 
and a good work in you. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. Will be faithful to complete it. He who started this work will be faithful to complete it in you. God's got great follow-through. I don't know where you're at, but I promise you, He has you marked for completion. You can trust that He'll follow through. I want to close today with a, it's a portion of a poem that is a prayer that really caught me this week, I think, because I was thinking about these things. And let me read it for you. It's from Ted Loader. He says this, So I believe, Lord, help my unbelief, that I may have courage to cut free from what I have been and gamble on what I can be and on what you might laughingly do with trembling me for your incredible world. God's got great follow-through. He is faithful to complete what he started in Ruth, in Boaz, in you and I, until the day of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. Father, we stand humble knowing that the God of all creation, the God of all history, are not only at work in this world to bring it to completion, to bring it to renewal and restoration in in Jesus, but that you in your love, your unstoppable faithful love, have caught us up in this plan. You've drawn us into what you are doing. You're faithful to complete in us what you have begun. But in an incredible, mind-blowing way, you've incorporated us into what you are doing to complete your work in the world. May we leave today challenged and encouraged by your faithfulness. Lord, I want to pray today for anyone who's in a place in life where they they are feeling stuck. They're feeling lost. They're wondering, God, if you still have a purpose for them. For anyone today who's feeling like they've lost a vision for what you want to do. For anyone today who's facing a situation or a crisis. For anyone today who's just feeling like, God, my life feels so boring. And yet I feel I'm being faithful with what you've given me. For each one of us today, Wherever we are at, may we leave today confident in your faithfulness because you've got great follow-through. and You are committed to following through on what you've begun in us. We give you praise and glory, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.